And we have covered the number one lie that we heard first is that God will only give you what you can handle, which we know is a lie, biblically. Secondly, the other lie was victory outreach just wants your money. Lie. The other lie was follow your heart. That was a lie. Last week, we talked about my faith is a private issue. That was a lie. And now, the fifth lie that we are going to be talking about today is entitled, It's Just Sex. It's a lie. First, before I get into the message, I want to read to you a couple of things that were written by kids that have to do with marriage. And these are little kids, seven, eight, nine. So Ellen, who was age 10, was asked the question, how do you decide who to marry? He says, you've got to find somebody who likes the same stuff. Like if you like sports, she should like it that you like sports, and she should keep the chips and dip coming. (laughs) Kristen, age 10, said, no person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it all way before, and you get to find out later who you're stuck with. How can a stranger tell if two people are married? Derek, age eight, said, you might have to guess based on if they seem to be yelling at the same kids. (laughs) What do most people do on a date? Martin, age 10, says, on the first date, they just tell each other lies. And that usually gets them interested enough to go on a second date. When is it okay to kiss someone? Pam, age seven, says, when they're rich. (laughs) Howard, age eight, says, the rule goes like this. If you kiss someone, then you should marry them and have kids with them because that's the right thing to do. And the last question, is it better to be single or married? Anita, age nine, says, it is better for girls to be single, but not for boys. Boys need someone to clean up after them. (laughs) This is actually the last question. How would you make a marriage work? And Ricky, age 10, says this. Tell your wife that she looks pretty, even if she looks like a truck. (laughs) Smart kid. Very smart kid. Open your Bibles with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11 and just kind of keep it there. I'm going to be referring back to this chapter um, throughout the message. Now, there may be many people here today who have heard people say when they've had affairs or when they've slept with something that is not their spouse, they've said words like, it's just sex. And this morning, I want to let you know that that is a lie from the devil. He wants you to minimize sin. He wants you to minimize adultery and fornication. He wants you to live by the saying, if it feels good, do it. Now, there are many people here today who are a little uncomfortable with this topic. But this is not only life. This is biblical. This message 
is about sexual purity and sexual morality. It's about keeping Jesus in your life and in your marriage. And I'm going to be talking a lot to married couples, but I'm not going to leave out the singles. Statistics say that one out of every two marriages fail. They also say that 60% of men and 45% of women will have an affair. These people did not go into a marriage thinking, I'm going to have an affair. Nobody ever gets married thinking, I'm going to mess up on my spouse. But what did happen is that they didn't work at their marriage. They developed a dissatisfaction and a hard heart toward their spouse. And I want to see marriages grow. That is my heart. I want to see your marriage grow. And I don't want you to believe the lie. It's just sex. Those of you who aren't married, you think that when you do get married, your marriage is going to be different. Your marriage is going to be awesome. You're going to defy the odds. Well, I want to let you know something, all of you singles, to right now. Getting married is the beginning of work. A lot of it. And on top of that, it's more work. And now, as a single, you need to learn something. You need to learn that you are going to have to fight for your marriage. And if you're single, you can learn these things now so that you will be better for it and so will your marriage. So I want to talk to you about the lies that will lead to an affair. The first lie that the enemy tells us is that I can take it easy now. So many men and women feel that once they got a ring on their spouse's finger, they can now take it easy. I can chill. I got her. I got him. We're done. I'm married. What they fail to understand is that when you get married, that's when the job begins. That's when the work begins. It doesn't, you, you don't even work before you get married. It's easy. You just kind of flow. Your, your girlfriend, what do you want to do? Anything you want to do. Where do you want to eat? Wherever you want to eat. You want to do whatever they want to do. It is so easy. But then you get married and you get a ring on that finger and it's like, they don't even ask you where do you want to eat. They just say, we're going to go eat over here. I don't like that place. Too bad. That's where I want to go. The work just begins when that ring gets on the finger. Can I hear an amen from the married couples? Now, 2 Samuel tells us the story of David. And we're going to go through this just periodically. I'm going to refer to different scriptures. Now, we're going to start with verse 1. <coughs> and it says this. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. What this scripture is telling us is that David got lazy. 
He didn't want to do what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to go to war. But now he was a king. And he just didn't feel like going out to war. Who wants to put on all that armor? Who wants to go out there and fight? I'm tired. I just want to kick it. I want to stay home. He didn't want to go out and fight. And whenever that spirit comes into our lives, whenever that spirit comes into our marriages and we don't want to fight anymore, we will begin to slide. There are people who have gotten lazy who have said, you know what? I already know what they're going to talk about. I already know everything they're going to say. I'm just going to stay home. I'm going to watch the Raider game. I'm going to watch the 49er game. I'm going to watch this. I'm going to watch that. Or I'm going to sleep in. And little by little by little, they begin to slide back. Because when our convictions begin to slide, then our morality begins to slide. And our good intentions begin to slide. And then ultimately, our purity begins to slide. When these things slide in our life, it will not be long before everybody will notice, hey, what's up with her? How come she's dressing like that? What's up with him? Who does he think he is? Nobody can see the seed, but everybody can see the tree. Nobody Nobody backslides overnight. You cannot be here raising your hands, worshiping and singing one day, and then the next day you walk out and you say, you know what, I'm not going to do this. Nobody from the home ever backslides overnight. It's already in your heart. It's already there because nobody ever sins and walks away from God overnight. It just doesn't happen like that. You aren't unfaithful to your spouse from one day to the next. It was already in your heart. When a man stops loving his wife and a woman stops respecting her husband, you begin to go downhill fast. Let me put a plug in for my marriage group. That's exactly what we're talking about. Husbands loving their wives and wives respecting their husbands. David neglected his role as a king. And because he neglected his role as a king, his life began to unravel. He got lazy. How do you know when you're neglecting your marriage? Let me give you some tips. One of the ways that you know is when doing things for each other is more of a bother than a joy. You don't, oh, I don't want to cup for him. It's like, ugh. Oh. I don't want to iron for him. I don't want to do an, go pick up milk for her. I don't want to help. You just get irritated. Can you help me? with? No, I can't help you. Can't you see I'm doing something? Watching TV. You get irritated. Another way you know that you're neglecting your marriage is when being romantic is more of a job than a joy. You don't want to do what you did for each other before you got married. You don't dress up anymore. You don't put cologne on. You don't look your best. Now you're sloppy. You sleep in sweats. You don't acknowledge each other when you come home. You just walk in the door and just go about your business. Don't even say hello. You don't even talk anymore. Another way is is that you know that you're neglecting your marriage is when you don't pray for your spouse anymore. 
Before you got married, they were at the top of your list. You were praying for them. God bless them. God watch over them. God keep them. You just wanted, you, you wanted God all over them. Now that you're married, you forget. Oh, yeah, I got to pray for them. Or you intentionally leave them off your prayer list because now you want God to fix them. You want God to change them. You want God to help them realize what they're doing. Or maybe some of you may even ask God, to, you know what, can you just tell them to leave? When was the last time you prayed with your spouse? I'm going to tell you something, husbands. Husbands, you are the head. You are the priest of your home. And you need to stop doing what you're doing and be the covering for your wife. You need to take the lead. Not the subordinate role, but the lead. And pray over her and pray for her and pray with her. Let me let you know something. Marriage is not going to fix your spiritual walk, singles. It will not. Some of you have these visions of grandeur. When I get married, oh, I'm going to pray with my spouse. We're going to read together. We're going to have Bible studies. Get a grip, okay? You're not going to start doing that if you're not doing it right now, being single. You're just not. My experience is that if you're not having spiritual disciplines in your life right now when you're single, you are not going to magically start up just because you got married. Matter of fact, it's going to be harder. Another way that you know you're neglecting your marriage is because before you get married, you think that marriage is going to fix them. You think that, oh, I know he'll talk nicer to me after we get married. Well, I know she'll stop spending so much money once I'm in charge of the finances. Oh, I know that they won't hang out so much with their friends. Or, or, or maybe they'll start hanging out with friends after we get married. If you're not married, if you are not married, let me let you in on a good clue. Marry somebody for who they are today, not for who you want them to be tomorrow. Because you cannot fix them, you cannot change them, you cannot transform them. If you can't love them for who they are today, then forget about it tomorrow. Another way that you can tell when a man is neglecting his wife is that he stops pursuing her. Before you got married, you could not keep your hands off of her. All you thought about was the honeymoon. And then you stop pursuing her. And then you begin to neglect your marriage. Wives, you begin to neglect your marriage when you talk about your husband behind his back. You talk to him to other people who will either agree with you or feel sorry for you. You poor thing, you're married to that brute? That guy? He treats you horrible, and you begin to feel so good about yourself. You tear your husband down to others. There are women 
who know more about their children's activities than they do about their husband's activities. They know their children in and out. They know what their children like to eat. They know what their children like to wear. They know their favorite colors. They know everything about their kids. But when you ask them, well, what's your husband's favorite color? Mm, I don't know. Well, what does your husband like to do? Watch TV. What does he do at his job? I don't know. You don't know anything about your spouse, but you know everything about your kids. That's when you know that you're neglecting your marriage. You are neglecting your husband when he is out of the house and you don't miss him. Oh, you miss that he's not there to help you with the kids. You miss that he's not there to help you pick up something heavy. But you don't miss that he's not there to talk to. Marriage is work. Some of you have spent so much money on your wedding. You spent money on your dress. You spent money on the food. You spent money on the venue, on the entertainment. You spent thousands of dollars planning this ceremony and the reception, but you spent absolutely nothing planning your marriage. Because when the ceremony is over and everybody goes home, that's when the work begins. There are things that you didn't know about each other before you got married, but now there is a ring on that finger. And now what happens is that you don't pretend anymore. Before, you used to try to pretend that you were so sweet and so nice and so loving and so giving and so unselfish. And now you're like, you know what? Pff, I already got a ring. You're stuck. I don't want to do this. You used to push yourself to stay awake so that you could listen to your honey's voice as they dreamed and they planned and they had visions for the future. And now you fall asleep before they even open their mouth. <laughs> if you want your marriage to work, you're going to have to go to work every day, every day, every day. How is your marriage going to work? If you learn how to serve each other. That's how it's going to work. So the first lie is, I can take it easy now. The second lie is, the grass is greener over there. And that's what a lot of people say. My needs aren't being met and the grass looks so much greener over there. Open your Bibles continually on, on chapter 11. We're going to read verses 2 and 3. It says, One evening David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now I need to kind of give you a little bit of background here. Because Bathsheba was bathing in her bath. They used to have big baths back then, like jacuzzis. You know how we take like six or eight? Well, that was their bath. They hadn't yet found out they could make them smaller. They used to make them big. But in those days, they didn't have a hot water heater. They didn't have anything to heat up water. So what they would do is they would fill the bath and they would let it sit during the day so that the sun would beat down on it and warm it up. 
So right around when the sun began to kind of go down a little bit toward the end of the day, the women would go take their baths because the bath water was warm. David knew exactly what time it was. He also knew exactly where his house was. He lived in the palace. And where he walked, everybody else's house was down here. Everybody else had their bath exposed to him. He knew, oh, it's 5 o'clock. Hmm, I think I'm going to go take a walk outside, see what the weather is like. I wonder how the sun is setting today. David knew exactly what time it was. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew. Just like so many of you know exactly what you're doing when you go on the internet. There are men and women who actually believe that the grass is greener over there. Over there on the chat lines. Let me just get into a chat. And you begin flirting with people that you're not married to and that you've never even seen. There are men and women who watch pornography and have developed such a habit that they justify it and say, well, it's just sex. Years ago, pornography was only available through magazines. Everyone knew where it was in the store because that's the place you didn't go. But it was purchased and it was hidden in toolboxes and recliners, underneath the bed. It was hidden everywhere. But today is a different generation. Pornography is available 24-7. All through the internet. Pornography has been programmed into our culture. It is so saturated that everyone who is on the internet has an equal opportunity to be tempted in this area. I wish I could tell you that pornography doesn't matter. I wish I could tell you that it's no big thing. But in the marriages that I've counseled, pornography causes marriages to fall apart. Because an addiction to pornography is not just sex. Pornography will cause one spouse to view their spouse differently and it will cheapen the value of sex in their marriage. Not to mention the emotional damage that it does to the wife, forcing her to question her worth and her husband's commitment to her in the marriage. On MTV, some of you say, well, you know what? I don't watch porn, but man, you are on MTV all the time. Your TV is stuck there. You come home and you flip it on right away. I'm not watching pornography. Hello, what do you think MTV is? It's soft pornography. It is so blatantly <laughs> music, television, video. How many of you know what MTV is? Okay. Majority of people do know what it is. 
And if you ever watch those videos, and I know many of you have, sex is so blatantly embedded in every video clip that it's hard to find a video clip without it. Some of you are saying, well, it's just video. It's just sex. What has happened to our culture in the last 10 years? How have we gone from hiding it in the toolbox and hiding it outside to it coming into our living room, it coming into our bedroom? Where are we going to be in 10 years from now? Men, let me ask you this. Do you take care of your eyes? Job 31.1 says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. Men, you need to make a covenant with your eyes. You need to look, say, okay, eyes, you're going to go where I tell you to go. Look at what I tell you to look at and stop looking where you're not supposed to. 70% of men in America visit a pornography site at least once a week. Pornography brings in $12 billion per year. To break that down, it's $380 per second. $380. $380. $380. Man, we've already hit over $1,000. Four seconds. We could probably cure world hunger if we could put half this money into buying food. Where do you eat your lunch? Now, I have family that's not saved. And they will swear that the best food is at Hooters. <laughs> and I tell them, just like I'll tell you, what a cop-out. Some of you go to the gym to see who's there and what they're wearing. There are men and women at every gym who love to show off their bodies. They love to show where their muscles are and even where they're not. See, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. Men get connected by sight while women get connected through their emotions. And if you're married and you love to go on Facebook then I will tell you this, your spouse should be able to go on your site. You shouldn't have a password that keeps your spouse away. This is the modern day version of how the enemy comes into marriages. It gets men and women to start thinking that the grass is greener somewhere else. Some people have looked for their old boyfriend or girlfriends on Facebook. I wonder what they look like. I wonder what they're doing. I just want to see their face. I just want to just say hi. Just want to, you know, I mean, I know that they can't live too close to me. We're not going to start anything. It might be fun. Who knows? 
you started chatting innocently with someone that is not your spouse. Because in the back of your head, you thought, if your spouse isn't meeting your needs, then maybe, possibly, somebody else will. And there are married men and married women who put their names on single sites, wondering if somebody else would find them attractive. My husband hasn't told me how pretty I am in a long time. I wonder if somebody else will. My wife doesn't look pretty anymore. I, I'm going to just see if somebody else thinks I'm attractive. Your spouse is the only one who should be watering your grass to make it greener. The third lie. You all following along? Yes. Well, I know you're not falling asleep today. The third lie is God knows my needs. God knows my needs. God understands me. He knows that I have needs and my spouse is not meeting them. See, we each have a love language. And every spouse needs to know their spouse's love language. There is a book called The Five Love Languages of Marriage. And each person feels loved when the other person speaks their language. Now, I thank God that he gave me a husband who spoke my languages. I'm high maintenance, and I was all of them. <laughs> but thank God he was able to understand that. But one of those languages is gifts. I love gifts. And, and I remember that when we first got together and Steve was still first learning my language, he would buy me things that he would like. <laughs> things that he wanted me to wear. Things that he wanted me to use. Foods that he liked. But I didn't like them. He did. I re I'll never forget. We had only been married, I don't know, maybe five or six months. And um, he bought me this horrendously ugly green crushed velvet suit. <laughs> it was like segunda style. <laughs> Green crushed velvet. It was like an avocado. Green. Yeah, you laugh now. I hated it. Oh my gosh, I hated it. Eventually, he learned what I liked, and then he learned to speak my language. But the reason I brought that out is because there are times when we go to the Lord and we offer him our language. Just like that little, uh, what was it? That little bucket that was all the stuff that I like. Nuts and, you know, uh, all that stuff. All the things that were in there are stuff that I like because people who are around me, they kind of know what I like now. But when we go before God, sometimes we take things in our bucket of things that we like. And we offer it to God and say, here, God, this is for you. And God said, I don't want that. That doesn't appeal to me. I, I want your heart. I want your full surrender. I want you. But Lord, I'm tired. I'm broke. I'm frustrated. I'm upset. 
So all of our efforts are half-hearted. We don't give our all to God, and we definitely don't give all to our spouses because we want our needs met first. Now, I want to let you know this. There is a scripture in the Bible that was one of the first scriptures that my children learned. I, drew, I built it into them. Whatever you do in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. That was like the first scripture you ever learned, huh? Drummed it into them. Fear of God. Do you think Tiger Woods thought about what he was doing when he was in secret? Or what about Charlie Sheen? Or Mel Gibson? Or Paris Hilton? Or the Kardashians? And you could just kind of go on and on and on and on and on. If you think that you can get your needs met through someone else besides your spouse, I will guarantee you right now, you're going to get busted. Whatever you do in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. In verses 4 and 5, this is what was done in secret. It says, Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I'm pregnant. Now David probably thought just those three words. It's just She's married. What's the big deal? It's only one time. Nobody's ever going to know. I made a mistake. Okay. I fell. It's not that big of a thing. But you know the story. She's got pregnant. So David tries to figure out what he's going to do. So he sends for her husband, Uriah the Hittite. Somehow, he thought if he could get Uriah to sleep with Bathsheba, then Uriah would think the baby was his. You know what I, I started to think? I was kind of tripping last night on this whole story. What if the baby didn't even look like Uriah? <laughs> what if Uriah was dark? And here, the Bible says that, that David was fair. He was really light. And what if the baby would have come out real light? And he's like, what happened? What if the baby came out looking like David? What was he going to do then? Anyway, I was just kind of tripping last night. So then David has him over to dinner. And he encouraged him. Because he just came back from the battle. You know what? Why don't you go, go with your wife tonight? Go spend time with your wife. But Uriah didn't go home. Uriah had convictions in his life that said, I can't go home to my wife when my troops are out there fighting the war. So then the next night, David says, you know what? He didn't go, to go home with his wife. He didn't go sleep with her. So then he says, you know what? If I get him drunk, then he'll go. But Uriah once again denied himself personal pleasure because his men were in the battle. He refused to lower his convictions. So David had no alternative but to send Uriah back into the war. And he gave him a letter to give to Joab, his commander-in-chief. And he told him to put Uriah in the heat of the battle. And when he was in the heat of the battle, to get all the men to step back 
so he could die. See, Joab didn't know the reason, but he knew that what David wanted was not right because now the secret was out. The secret was out. In verse 26, jump down there in chapter 11. It says, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. But the thing David had done had displeased the Lord. Does your sexual purity displease the Lord? Do your sexual thoughts displease the Lord? Now, those of you who say, well, God knows my needs. God knows my needs. You know who else says those words? Rapists, pedophiles, and sexual predators. I have needs. I've had people tell me that they married the wrong person. And this is not after three months or six months. This is after five years, 10 years, 15, 25, 30 years. I married the wrong person. And now, guess what? After 25 years of marriage, I find my soulmate. Every person who has married... We have all stood before God and before people and committed ourselves to our spouses until death do us part. Is your sexual purity pleasing to God? If you're single, are you visiting porn sites? Single women, are you letting men put their hands in places on your body that they shouldn't be putting them on? Because your real needs cannot be met through anyone else except through Jesus and through your spouse. Amen. Number four. The number four lie is I can handle whatever consequences come up. I can handle it. Everyone who has ever suffered heartburn, I, I don't, thank God I don't suffer heartburn, but everybody who has ever suffered heartburn when you are eating that food that you know you shouldn't be eating, you eat that chili, you eat that pizza, you eat that spice, and you are, I can handle it. This time, I'm not going to get heartburn. It's going to be different this time. And you begin to start eating and eating and eating. And then what happens after a while? You're like, oh, man, you got heartburn. But when you're in the process of eating that pizza or eating that chili or eating whatever it is, you think you can handle it. I can handle it. You know you're not supposed to eat it, but you have this antojito. You have this craving that you just can't stop. Some of sometimes we think, well, we're the exception. God says, be holy because I am holy. If you are not sexually pure, you will suffer the consequences. Galatians 6, 7, God will not be mocked. We will reap what we sow. 
See, David thought he could handle whatever circumstances would come up. He just thought he could deal with it. But God sends Nathan the prophet with a story, and he tells David of a rich man who had all these sheep. And then he had this one man who only had one little sheep. And this man, the Bible says, used to take his sheep everywhere with him, like, like the way I am with my dog. That's the way he was with his sheep. He ate with him. He slept with him. He took him everywhere with him. That's what the Bible says. He took him everywhere. He was like, he was like my dog. Everywhere I go, he goes. And then Nathan tells David, but one day there was a banquet and this rich man who had all these sheep said, let's throw a banquet. And he killed the lamb that this one man had. And they ate it. And David got angry and he was upset and he says, you know what? You know what? We're going to put that man to death. He said, we're not going to tolerate this. Until Nathan said, you are that man. See, when you get involved in sexual immorality, you can always spot everybody else's sin, but you can't even see your own. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, Jump over to the next chapter with me, verse 11. Nathan says this, This is what the Lord says, Out of your own household I am going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I'm going to do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But, there's always a but. There's always consequences. But, because by doing this you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. There will be consequences. Do not ever, ever think that you're going to get away with it. And you know, the saddest part of this whole story, and I know that most of you know it, but the saddest part of this whole story is that the baby dies. To me, that's the saddest story. The baby dies. Children suffer all the time. Parents sacrifice their children for the sake of their own pleasure all the time. I don't know how many of you saw on the news of this young mother in Florida. She must have been 17, 18 years old. And she was on the computer playing Farmville on Facebook. And she was so into the game, she had a three-month-old little girl who was crying. She got off the internet, went to the baby, and shook the baby to be quiet. Then after she did that, she laid her baby down on the couch, went outside to take a smoke. When she came back in, she found out that the dog had knocked the baby off the couch. Picked the baby up, because now the baby was crying more, shook the baby more to be quiet, put the baby down, 
And at that point, the baby died. All because she wanted some pleasure. She wanted to be on Farmville. Husbands and wives who do not see past their own selfishness will fail to see how their children will suffer behind their sexual impurity. Kids know. Children's teachers know. Your kids will grow up one day and they will make a decision whether they're going to serve God or not based on your behavior. There are kids who refuse to serve God when they grow up in church. Why is that? Why do children grow up in church and then they leave? Because there are times when they have seen their parents walk the broad way instead of the narrow way. When they saw them compromise their character. All I can tell you is this. God don't play. God don't play. We reap what we sow. So what are the lies that lead to an affair? One, I can take it easy now. Two, grass is greener over there. Three, God knows my needs. Four, I can handle whatever circumstances come up. And the fifth lie is, I've messed up so bad, there's no hope. Now, I know there are people sitting here today who have had affairs. You've had promiscuity in your past. Maybe you've been a slave to pornography sites on the Internet. And you might think that there's no hope for you. I want to let you know this morning, there is hope. There's hope. You just got to confess. You got to have, stop having secrets in your life. You need to repent. Whatever you try to hide, it will get exposed. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. But we just read about the David who was an adulterer. He was a murderer. He was a liar. He was a self-righteous man. But David was a man who was able to repent. I have dealt with people who have sexually sinned. And I have asked them this question. Are you truly sorry? Or are you sorry you just got found out? Because the kind of people that we deal with, they're just sorry they got busted. It takes them a long time to get to that point where they're truly, truly sorry. But David was a man who was not only busted, but he was broken. He was a broken man. In Psalm 51, that particular psalm, you don't have to turn to it, but David wrote that psalm right after he was exposed. And it says this, verse 1 says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. Verse 4, against you, only you, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. 
See, David acknowledges his sin. He doesn't want to be a man with excuses. He's a man who desires to be right with God, a man who doesn't point the finger and blame anybody else for his behavior, doesn't blame anybody else. Well, the wife that you gave me or the husband that you gave me, it's their fault. If they wouldn't do this or they wouldn't say this, he doesn't point it at anybody else. He points it at himself. Because David is saying, I want to change. I want to be right. I want to be pure. Those of you who continue to live sexually immoral lives are yelling out to everyone, the Holy Spirit doesn't live in me. Because if the Holy Spirit lived in you, you would feel conviction. You would be repentive. You would want to change. Men and women who want to change will have to be willing to step up to the plate. You're going to have to be willing to come down to the altar. But I'm going to be embarrassed. Everybody's going to see. Embarrassment has allowed you to continue to live with sexual impurity. How much longer will you let embarrassment keep you from being repentant? I want to see strong marriages. Because this is the lie that the devil wants us to believe. That it's just sex. But it's not true. God wants us to love our spouse. And he wants our marriages to glorify him. And everybody will agree that a good marriage requires hard work. But when we struggle and we get discouraged, then we start making excuses in our marriages. We can always make excuses to avoid the things that we're supposed to do. I can think of 10 reasons why not to get out of bed in the morning. And so can you. We can make excuses all we want. But eventually... We have to make ourselves push and get out of bed. Well, those of you who are married, if you don't push yourself, then you're going to keep making excuses for the rest of your life. You can continue not making deposits in your marriage, and then your account is going to dry up. It doesn't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that if you have this attitude, your marriage is going to deteriorate. So today, I'm going to pray for marriages. I want to pray for healing. I want to pray for restoration. I want to pray for intimacy like never before. I want to pray for those marriages who feel like there's no hope. Your marriage is dead. I want to let you know something. If God can raise the dead physically, I know he's certainly able to breathe love into those who are dead emotionally. But you got to be willing to participate. You got to be willing to listen. You got to be willing to follow what he says to do. You got to be willing to do what God tells you to do. Because it begins with a decision of our will and then our actions and then our feelings will follow. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. For some of you that's very difficult. You can't make your spouse treat you with the affection and the tenderness that you want. But I want to let you know something. You can ask God what you're supposed to do. What is your part? And trust that God will do a miracle in your spouse's part. Singles, those of you who are single this morning, 
you need to develop an uncompromising sexual thought life so that you will be able to have an awesome marriage. Most singles have no idea what it's going to take to make your marriage work. You have no idea. You underestimate the price you're going to have to pay. You think it's going to be so easy. But there's a price to pay for a good marriage. Good marriages don't just happen. Good marriages take time. Bad marriages take more time. But you don't give up on your marriage. You don't walk away from your marriage. You don't say, I can't handle this. I don't want to deal with this. I'm going to try somebody new. My soulmate. The only ones who are going to be able to make their marriage work are the spouses who will be broken before God. Totally broken before God. Bow your heads with me this morning. I know that this was a very difficult message for many of you to hear. But I know it was necessary. And whether you've been married six months or 60 years, you got to work on your marriage. You got to work on it. It's work. It is work. Those of you who are single, no more excuses for the way that you're living your life. No more excuses for dabbling here and there. No more excuses for not putting boundaries on your thought life. Many of you need changes. You need changes in your heart, changes in your mind, changes in your attitude. Some of you need a straight-up miracle in your marriage. This is not going to be a very long and drawn-out altar call. But I'm going to ask everybody to stand this morning.